going to continue our series here of basically why do we do what we do here at Brantford Bible Chapel. It's important for you to know um, how we just practically do church on a Sunday morning um, and what kind of church you go to. Even if you disagree, that's okay. We should all have clear communication, right, of why we do what we do. So um, I am enjoying this whole series. And again, we would ask for just open communication as well. That if you feel like you got some questions, that's that's good. Let's Let's talk about it. Today... I have elders and deacons. There's a lot there. There's a lot there. But uh, turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 5. I'll start reading in verse 1. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you in due time. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, again, we um, are just so glad that you are the chief shepherd. You are the one that uh, cares for our souls. We pray during this time that your spirit would control me, that um, it would just be a, a good time around your word, that we would be a people that are convinced of your biblical truths um, through your word, that your spirit might do a work, that it might edify and build us up together corporately as a body. We want to be a vibrant, healthy, uh, local church for your glory, Lord. And so... We need your help. Uh, we desperately need you to do all the work. And so we pray that we would just be willing to uh, do what you would have us to do. Be honored and glorified during this time. In your name, amen. Elders and deacons. What do they do? How do you become one? I was listening to a podcast this week of uh, Dwight Knight. And I'll give you one of... Dwight Knight's story. If you know anything about Dwight Knight, you'll tell, you can tell it's a Dwight Knight story. But Dwight was, uh, the story goes, Dwight was going into McDonald's, and uh, he just ordered a lot of food. He had a tray of food. He was about to sit down, and a girl came up to him and said, excuse me, sir, are you a Christian? And he said, uh, yes. <laughs> and she goes, I, I can just tell. You're a Christian. I've been in jail for the last couple years. Um, she was in drug trafficking, and, and she heard of the Bible and stuff in jail. And she said, I, I just got out of jail about two weeks ago, and, and I, I have a lot of sins, and I need to know how to get right with God. I've even been to a few churches, uh, but it doesn't seem like anyone can answer me. And when I saw you, I just feel like you're a Christian. So can you tell me how to get right with God? This is why I say it's a Dwight story. So... Uh, Dwight goes, uh, sure, 
Yeah, and so leads the girl to the Lord right there at McDonald's and then gives her a Bible. Um, and Dwight, you know, says it was brand new. It really was painful for him to give it away. So in the Bible is also um, some literature for a seminary that Dwight was going to be speaking on. So Dwight leaves the girl, says, hey, uh, you know, read this Bible, seek the Lord. Dwight's preaching at a church a couple years later in Detroit. He gets up to the pulpit and a lady stands up going, it's him! And she's pregnant. And Dwight's going, it's not me. (laughs) And long story short, it was that girl, her name was Easter. And her story was that she got saved and she called the seminary like the next day and said, I just got saved. The guy told me to learn about the Bible. Your brochure looks like it does. It was a scholarship. The lady on the other end goes, oh my goodness, we just had someone um, offer a full ride scholarship um, for a minority who, she just fit all the bills. So she went to seminary, met a guy, great Christian. They got married. She was pregnant. And, uh, you know, so Dwight actually got to meet with her again. But um, the reason I tell that story is, she said, listen, she goes, there was just something that I saw Christ in you that day at McDonald's. Why am I saying that? Well, we can talk a lot about elders and deacons. And the number one responsibility for elders and deacons is to look Christ-like. And yet, as I say that, it's a preface to anyone else in the room not supposed to be Christ-like? I mean, that, that's the calling of the believer, that we might look Christ-like, so that others can come up to us and go, there's something about you. And remember, sometimes we kind of get used to church. So if there is a new convert, a new believer, it's nice to come into a place and then say, okay, well, is there anyone in charge or stuff like that? And we would say, the Lord Jesus is in charge, actually. But here's some elders and deacons. They're in leadership as well. And hopefully, they look like Christ. They look like Christ. So... We're going to go through some of these things, but I love First uh, Peter chapter 5. I was just encouraged again that he uses the word shepherd. You know, when you grow up, you just think, oh, shepherds, Jesus was the great shepherd, we're sheep. It kind of becomes second language. And I don't want us to forget that God chose those words specifically, a shepherd uh, and sheep. He could have said... You know, you guys are the leaders, uh, the masters. Um, the, he could have said a lot of things. He calls elders shepherds. Why? There's a few things shepherds do. And if you want to know about the office of shepherd, think about what a shepherd does with their sheep. And that's one of the things that's supposed to be done. It says here to shepherd the flock. So I'm going to say three things that an elder is supposed to do for the local church. They're supposed to shepherd the flock or pastor them. They're supposed to warn against false teaching. And they're supposed to teach the Bible. Okay? They're supposed to shepherd the flock, warn against false teaching, and teach the Bible. That's the job of the elder in the assembly. And so if you think about a shepherd, how does he do it? You know, if you've ever read... Uh, a Shepherd's Look at Psalms 23. It's one of the best books out there. He goes through the whole psalm. I think his name is... Uh, I forgot his name. But it's a Shepherd's Look at Psalms 23. He was a shepherd and wrote a book basically with a shepherd's point of view on Psalm 23. It's amazing. 
And he would say how there's no way a shepherd can ever be a good shepherd without personally knowing the sheep. That one of the jobs is to inspect the sheep, to get close with them. One of the jobs of a shepherd is to protect them with a rod. One of the jobs is if the sheep do go wayward and start going on their own way, they're supposed to bring that lamb or sheep back. And they're supposed to lead so that sheep can follow them and they're supposed to bring them to a place that's healthy for them so they can eat and be nourished. All those pictures are right here where it says, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. All those pictures of a shepherd are there. The reason we have elders is because we all need pastoring in our lives. <laughs> we all need people who are hopefully also of spiritual maturity to show us where to go spiritually to just pastor us, to just simply say, hey, how's life going? To be someone that you can go to for advice. To be approachable and say, hey, I'm not perfect, but let's do life together. To warn you, to warn you of things that are coming. And again, to protect you from harm. All these things are there as a shepherd. Okay? Sheep need to know that they can get themselves in trouble. Right? And so we're going to be saying this a few times today. The head of the church is Jesus Christ. And so, because God is indwelling in us, in some ways, you could sit there and say, well, the Holy Spirit runs this church, okay? And we don't really need any leadership. We're all... Saints, like we talked about two weeks ago with me, we are all priesthood of believers. Let's just work together. And yet there's a piece of just normal humanity that says, you know what? We're those who need leadership. We're those who need to be able to see a face here on earth and go up to them and ask, where do we draw the line on this? What about this stance? What about that? And so, by God's grace, um, elders are here. As leadership. But as you see there in verse 2, it says, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. The whole point of shepherding a flock is that we are basically underneath the flock, just trying to help. It is not a leadership role that is, we're going to tell you everything what to do. Now, that might sound confusing when I go into submit to the elders at the end of the passage. But I really want to have this mindset of what a shepherd does, okay? A shepherd loves sheep. That's why he's with the sheep. He's going to care for them, protect them, encourage them, and that's what elders are supposed to do. Supposed to shepherd the flock, pastor them, and do that. Now, on a practical uh, level for this, okay, time is always a concern, right? We're all busy. This is another reason why it's important to go to meetings of the church on Sunday or if we have small group, and not just to meet your elders, but for everyone. You see, yes, it's the elder's job to pastor you. And if you have something going on in your life that you're really struggling with, first of all, other people in the assembly can do it, but also an elder should be able to step in if you need that help. That's part of the role. That's part of the office. However, I have to tell you, that we are not sitting there looking around going, yep, I see a little person. I'm going to go talk to them about that in their life. Yep, 
<laughs> Definitely going to fix that. Yeah, Because that would drive us crazy. Imagine coming to church and all we want to do is worship. And instead, we're looking around going, oh, yep, address that, address that, address that, address that. That's not the role, guys. So why am I saying that? It is definitely on the onus of whoever's going to church to share their life with the elders as well for pastoring. Sheep come to the shepherd. When the shepherd calls, they come. Okay? And so there is definitely a piece of just time management. Here at Brantford Bible Chapel, the elders have done visitation. Okay? We try to meet with people. We said before, as soon as you start coming to Brantford Bible Chapel, you're going to meet with the elders. Okay? If there's a crisis going on, we try to meet with the person physically, spiritually. Um, and then there's just normal, hey, how's life going? But there's also a part of body life where there's an idea of the assembly going, I'm going to go talk to an elder and just kind of tell them what's going on in life so that they know because they care. Because they care. And so this is what we're talking about, again, from 1030 to 11 or going to small group. Those times of getting together are important, are important. I understand completely that there's a crisis in your life. There's a death in the family and an elder comes to your house that night to help you and pastor in that time. And you've never really talked to them. That's a problem. I mean, they can love, and they and maybe hopefully by God's grace, they're supportive and they're and they're there for you. But this is a family, guys. This is a family, and so we're trying to be like that for all of us. It's very hard to pastor if we don't know what's going on in people's lives, and just by the sheer number of things, there's got to be that sharing of life together for fellowship. And again, elders should be giving practical wisdom, and we would think like that, right? And so there is this piece of saying, hey, um, I'm thinking about doing switching jobs. You know what I mean? W- would you go to an elder and say, what do you think about this? Sure. Those, those are good things. And again, outside of elders, I sound like I'm, I'm repeating myself. You should go to other believers that you trust before making huge life decisions, like switching jobs, moving, uh, all that. You should go seek advice from people, from believers that you ad- respect. And, and listen to. So that's uh, why they're here. All right. They're also to warn against false teaching. That is one of their major jobs, is that they are students of the word. Not that we're not all students of the word, but they're going to refute false teaching. Able to teach is one of the qualifications. There's numerous passages about um, beware of false teaching, beware of false prophets, um, it's all, read Second Peter chapter 2. It's a whole chapter about false teaching and what goes on with that. And so God has ordained an office in the church that can address these things. Hey, there's a lot of people out there that claim Christian. There's a lot of people out there that say, yes, we're going to a Christian church and yet might be teaching false doctrine. And it could be confusing to people. And so elders are here to speak against false teaching. Now, how does that work practically? Again, we're not going to sit there, zip through the latest podcast and YouTube videos and just come up on a Sunday and go, hey, I saw this online. It's wrong. We're not going to do that. Okay, that's not going to happen. But if you start hearing things that you might go, I don't know if that's what Branford Bible Chapel does. Or I don't know if that's really a correct way to look at Scripture. Instead of bottling it inside and just going, well, 
I don't know. I guess no one really can figure it out. Those are conversations people need to have. Those are conversations that why we do life together. Those are conversations where an elder can go, actually, that's false teaching. That's not correct biblically, and let me show you why. Okay, let me show you why. The, so the elders are there for that. <clears throat> and I will say this um, just quickly about the whole false teaching. It's kind of like a negative topic because you don't want to look like you're judging. If you read in Second Peter chapter 2, remember this, that false teaching appeals to people. There's a reason why a lot of false teachers are out there and that people like it. Okay, I was in my room this week and um, I had, there was a secretary in our building who's actually going to become my student teacher. She wants to go become a teacher and so she has to observe me for the day. And so at the beginning of every class, um, I lied, basically is what I did. I told the whole class, here's this adult in my room today. I'm in the running for a national teacher of the year for family consumer science. And she's basically observing me to see if I won. Okay, and she's going to go back to the board and say whether I should win or not. So uh, my students got pretty excited. And there's um, another para in my room who's a believer. And so um, in a joking way, he goes, you, you lying to people? I said, well, I, I said, I'll tell them the truth tomorrow. And he was excited because he goes, man, he goes, you got me too. He goes, I really thought you were in the running for a national teacher award. He goes, what's wrong with you? You can't lie like that. And so I'm confessing my sins publicly. But um, I did tell him later. But the reason I say that is that's just a silly story. For It was appealing. It was appealing for my students to go, oh, man, my teacher might be in a national uh, award here. You know, That's how false teaching can be, guys. It, it's not like, oh, that's horrible. Let me read more. It's appealing to us. It, it gets at us as human beings. Like, I would love for Scripture to back that up. Absolutely. And so we have to guard against that. And so when, when elders teach against false teaching, it should always be out of the concern of the heart, going, guys, this is not God's word. This is not how it is. Don't be tricked. Don't be deceived with this. There's also a difference between just interpreting Scripture and saying, well, I see it this way and I see it that way, versus false teaching. I'm sorry if I can't really give you a specific um, you know, should Christians go to R-rated movies, okay? And someone says, yes, they can. Someone says, yes, they can't. And there's a debate there. That's really not false teaching. False teaching is false gospel or going against doctrines. Like, could Jesus have sinned or not? The Trinity, did he actually rise from the dead? Uh, how does someone get saved? Those things are false teachings when they go against them. All right. Next, what an elder should do. So we have warn against false teaching. We have shepherd the flock. We have teach the Bible. Okay? One of the qualifications is able to teach. And again, sometimes we take this for granted. We just go, okay, well, those are the teachers. But again, if you're a new convert, you just got saved this week, you're coming to Branford Bible Chapel, and you honestly know nothing of the faith. Shouldn't God have set something up down here on earth where you can go meet people and be taught? Right. And so that is one of the premises here that he has ordained people in the local church that, yes, we can teach you the things of God. Obviously, we are not excellent scholars on the book because God's word is living. There's always more to learn. I don't mean I just mean that 
you know, don't expect the elders to know every single question in the Bible. Okay, but should they be able to teach you doctrine? Yes, they should. I give my students a syllabus. Why? Because I want to show them what's coming forth. Because when they get to my room and they see four or five kitchens and stoves, they are in la-la land. They have no idea what my room does. Especially sixth graders for the first time, they come into a public school and they're sitting there going, oh my gosh, there's ovens in here. And there's like sinks. And I don't see any like, no A, B, C, D, alphabets on the wall. No numbers like this. What do we do here? So I give them a syllabus. Because if not, every single day I have students go, are we going to cook today? Are we going to cook today? Are we going to cook today? I mean, guys, you got to think about my life. It's horrible. You know what I mean? Every single day I got students going, are we going to cook today? Are we going to cook today? Are we going to cook today? And so I was like, I'm done with this. Here's your syllabus. I'm going to show you what's coming up. I'm going to show you what you're going to be taught in my room. And that's what we try to do here at Brantford. That's why we have series. Okay, for the next eight to ten weeks, this is what we want to focus on so that you're a part of the process so you can do your own studying at home. This is what we want to teach. And elders have to be in a lot of prayer about that. Gonna, they are in a lot of prayer about what we preach on on Sunday mornings and what does the assembly need to hear? Is there something that they really need to be taught at this moment um, of their lives corporately? Notice that the Bible calls elders overseers, not over, um, well, I would say not doers, okay? So here's again one of the crazy things is that elders oversee the ministries that happen here. That does not mean they start and run them all. Now, where does that put the onus for what happens at the church? On all of us. On all of us. Yes, it would be nice to go to church where the elders just run all the ministries and you kind of kind of help. But that is not how God has set it up. We talked about this when it came to priesthood of believers two weeks ago. So ministries done here at the assembly are basically... What you have been led to do by the Spirit of God using your spiritual gifts that were given to you. Is there needs here at Brantford? Yes. Is there certain ministries that should be started right now that could help this assembly that are not here? Yes. And it, and it is not set up that the elders then just go, okay, I'm really not even gifted in this area, but we're going to just start this ministry. Elders oversee. They oversee. Why? Because they're responsible for God's word. Here's what that means. If you came to the elders and said, hey, I want to start this ministry. We are not going, well, I don't know if I like that ministry. Um, Try to do it this way. All we're going to do is go like this. Okay, what are you going to teach? What is the purpose of the ministry? And then we're just going to make sure it lines up biblically. And then we're going to say, what do you need? What do you need from us to do this ministry? We, we're here. We'll give you whatever you need. And that's what we do. Okay? So sometimes this church is different in the sense that sometimes you can go to other churches and they're like, oh, you know, they kind of advertise, we need someone to do this, we need someone to do this. Here we want you to be praying using your spiritual gifts and come up with ministries. Now, sometimes that's tough to do. But again, that turns into fellowship. You're just talking to people saying, hey, guys, I feel like, you know, there's a need here. 
Is there anything we can do about it? And then people get along together in the body of Christ and form a ministry. That's the way it is supposed to work. So again, what are the elders in charge of on a practical level here at Brantford Bible Chapel? They are to notice the flock and see if there are wayward believers, sick, those who need encouragement, who needs pastoring. They are to oversee the ministries, just simply making sure they're lined up biblically. Elders are basically the ones that have created this, the practical schedule for Sunday morning, 9.15 to 12.15. If tomorrow the elders said, hey, we're starting church at 10, well, by God's grace, that'd be awesome. Okay. <laughs> Just kidding. A little joke. Okay. So um, the elders are responsible. Again, the, the main responsibility is how the Word of God is taught here. So they choose who speaks uh, behind this platform. Okay, and they do a lot of prayer and a lot of talking with each other about what we're going to speak on. Okay, what we are going to speak on. So again, just because a ministry is not being done doesn't mean they don't want it done. It just means their their role in the assembly is being fulfilled and maybe someone else's isn't. Uh, I don't know if I should even say it, but again, Sunday school superintendent has been something that uh, we, we've wanted done here for a while, uh, and no one's uh, filled that ministry, okay? But I, I would tell you that just on a very practical level, you can sit there and be like, well, you know, why aren't the elders taking care of that or something like that? We're not going to force anyone into a ministry. So we've, we've made the need known. Hey, we need someone to organize Sunday school and be a superintendent. And and then you just kind of pray and leave it up to the Lord. Um, That's the way it works. All right, what do deacons do? Turn to Acts chapter 6. We'll start in verse 1. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out among you, from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, in whom we might appoint over this business." But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procorsorus, Nicor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, the proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. When they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Okay, this is where we get that idea of deacon. What does deacon mean in the original? It means a servant. It means a servant. This will also shed a little light to go back to elders where basically these guys were saying, listen, we have to devote ourselves to prayer and to God's word. And so there's practical things that came up. The distribution of the foods to the widows. Practically, people are starting to come together for church. Where does the money go? Practically, there's a lot of things. And we need godly men to oversee the practical things there. That's basically what a deacon does. They take care of the practical needs of the assembly. Because there's a big burden on the elders 
to just simply worry about um, God's Word and is it being taught right in prayer. And so the practical part comes in from deacons. Again, this is not that they have to do everything. They oversee the practical needs of it. So where does this kind of look like? Um, the facilities, okay, if we came here every uh, week and the place was trashed and the heat wasn't on in the winter and no one paid the light bill, there is practical things of having church that got to be taken care of, okay? And so the deacons are the ones that oversee that here in the assembly. Again, the elders, when the deacons wanted to do um, the interior design, they basically appointed Kim to do the interior stuff. So they and Kim and the deacons kind of had conversations back and forth. I will tell you that it's kind of one of those funny things that, yes, the elder, the deacons are very good here. I mean, like, hey, guys, this is what we want to do. Um, not in a permission way from the elders, but they were just kind of informing us. But I have to tell you that even us as elders, we we're kind of like, well, just, that's up to the deacons. Like, we, we can't worry about that stuff either. That's, that's up to them. They're godly and they can kind of deal with it. And so there's a difference here uh, with that stuff. And so they're uh, in church, in charge of the practical things of the building. Um, they are definitely in charge of administrating the practical needs. If there's someone in the assembly, the, the deacons do so much here, guys, with this kind of stuff. There's financial needs that come up through sickness. The deacons are on it. Uh, it doesn't have to just be give a check sometimes. Sometimes, um, you know, there is situations where it's like, hey, so-and-so needs a car. We just found out about it. Well, how are we going to practically do that? Maybe they organize, instead of buying them a car, they, they call brothers and sisters and say, hey, can you give me a car for two weeks and let this brother or sister borrow it? So they're overseeing all those practical things. They are also overseeing how the money works. They're the ones that collect the money that we give in that box. They write checks. They give the financial report to the assembly. Again, none of these things are hidden. You can, you can talk to a deacon whenever you want to see how much money is in the bank account because it's not their money. It's not the elder's money. It's not your money. It's the Lord's money. And so we just practically need money sometimes to do those things. And so they're, they're very good and spend a lot of time praying. How do we spend this money? Because there are those we support. We give checks on a monthly basis to certain workers here from the assembly. And so you just can't keep writing checks if you don't have the money there. Okay, and so as the Lord blesses and gives, things like that. Um, ushering, the bulletins, things like that. The deacons are in charge of that. And again, they're not necessarily doing it. No, John Litovich does that, and so they've talked to him. And so, again, there's oversight, not necessarily being the ones that do everything. Okay? That's what deacons and elders are supposed to do. Now, let's talk biblically on why we believe in plurality of leadership. Why is it that we don't have one elder? Why can't we just go with one deacon? This is not a tradition, as some of these things we might talk about uh, from here that Bramford has established. We feel this is biblical. This is the way it's supposed to be set up. Here's why we believe in plurality of leadership instead of one person being in charge. One, the pattern there is as you read in the New Testament, it says Jesus Christ is our chief shepherd, and we are his under-shepherds. There is one person in charge. His name is Jesus Christ. He is in charge of this place. Everything goes through him. 
or should, from the saints here at Brantford Bible Chapel. I just want to encourage you, that is not a cop-out by any means. Well, I mean, I mean, of course Jesus is in charge, but really who's in charge? That's not the language here at Brantford Bible Chapel. The language is very strong. Jesus Christ is in charge at Brantford Bible Chapel. End of story. And so what he sees fit to do with this place, hopefully we submit. Okay? So that's how it is. Remember, as we said before, the priesthood of believers, there was a high priest. And now you read the language in Hebrews where Jesus Christ is forever our high priest. And so, again, there's no reason for one person to be in charge. Okay? Also, Jesus is called the head of the church. And it just doesn't work if you have two heads on one body. That's called a deformity. Okay? So... Jesus is the head of the church. We are the body. Now, there's numerous examples of this. This is always interesting to me. In Titus 1.5, you're going to read where he says, Set things in order and appoint elders in every city. Historically, there was a church in the city. Appoint elders in every city. In Acts 14.23, it says appoint elders. In Acts 20.17, to the elders of the church that is in Ephesus. The pattern that you will see all throughout the New Testament is when this new church was born on the day of Pentecost and people started having local gatherings. It was never one guy. Ever. And I know that might be hard to hear because we have so many churches with pastors nowadays. But even that, we'll talk a little bit about that. But if you just read biblically, it is for sure the pattern that's in the New Testament, that it was a plurality of leadership. Absolutely. That's the way it works. Okay? And so, um, why don't we have a pastor? <laughs> Many churches do. And again, as I say these things, I'm always, I'm super sensitive to, I, I do not want to act at all like, oh my gosh, pastors are horrible. They're completely wrong. They should all retire tomorrow. Okay? If there's someone to give their life to the work of the Lord, who are we to judge? That's between them and the one in charge of the church, which is Jesus. <laughs> but why don't we have a pastor here at Brantford Bible Chapel? Well, as I said, biblically, we need plurality because that's the pattern. Okay? So let's just break it down to very, very simple things. One man teaching every Sunday. Well, in Ephesians, we talked about using the gifts and where those gifts come from and that we're supposed to edify with one another with those gifts. So I don't know how if you have the same person speaking every week, how that can work. How can you, especially with that important ministry of teaching, kind of be edifying? There's no one else in the assembly that has a gift that they can't use. Okay, So there's just a practical thing there. In 1 Corinthians 14, you see a pattern of two or three people speaking. Okay, So again, there's patterns there. Um, <clears throat> again, this is just practical stuff. In many churches, there's an idea that you must go to school to become qualified to get the job or the office of pastor. To me, completely unbiblical. To the leadership at Branford Bible Chapel, completely unbiblical. Your spiritual gift comes from the Lord. 
You don't need to go to school to get qualified for the job. He makes you qualified. That being said, we should not swing the pendulum the other way and go, oh, seminary is crazy. Listen, man, we should all be in seminary. (laughs) Why don't we want to learn? Seminary is a great thing. Okay, take classes. I'm amazed that Amazed Bible um, College has classes online. Go learn. Go take a few online classes. Awesome. Okay, but sometimes there is language that would say, some people have said, man, I feel like I feel led to go be a preacher. Okay, what do you, what do you want to do about it? Well, I got to go back to, I got to go to school. No, you don't. And especially not here at Brantford, because we give opportunity for you to develop that gift. Okay, and so we just want to look at that, because I know sometimes it's not really the norm here in America. Okay, but if you feel like you want to um, start speaking as a male here, um, okay, well, we can talk about that. Okay, and so you, we, we would never say, go learn from a seminary, and then you can come try to speak. I don't think any of the speakers here have been to seminary. Oh, which on a little side note, I went to a Christian school. I definitely didn't learn a lot of Bible. I took three Bible classes. One was New Religious Movements, so I learned about cults. Okay, the other one I slept in. And I don't know, the third one was good. Okay. <laughs> All right. There's also language like sometimes people say, well, God gave me, um, you know, this flock to shepherd. This is mine kind of from the Lord. Just not the biblical pattern because it's the Lord's. This is not semantics, but in the assemblies, we wouldn't call the person a pastor, but we do have full-time workers. We have the Workers and Elders Conference coming, a national conference. What does that mean? Here at Branford Bible Chapel, we had Herb McCulley as a full-time worker here. Ken Hardesty as a full-time worker here. There was enough work where the leadership at the time felt like there's enough work where we are going to support them to where they have enough hours to spend in the week to just do the ministry instead of uh, working. Because uh, you can't do both. They can't work a full-time job and then sometimes do a full-time, another 40 hours in the ministry. And so why do I say all that? Well, because um, when it comes to this idea of full-time worker, it's still not a pastor like you would think. Like Ken Hardesty was not number one. Everything had to go through him. Herb McCulley, I mean, I wasn't here, but I knew him a little bit. I don't think he was like that. Okay? So you can have someone who is a full-time worker. They feel, listen, I, I just need more hours in the week to serve the Lord, um, but I have responsibilities, so we support them financially. If it helps you, this is what missionaries are, Right? Sometimes, again, it's so funny that we're like, oh, no problem supporting a missionary in another country, but you know, a, a guy here sometimes sounds a little different. But if we had another full-time worker here, he would not be suddenly above the elders, or the elders support him in his work. That's not the biblical pattern, okay? It's not the biblical pattern. The pattern is this plurality, and everyone together is going to have checks and balances, Okay, so that's the beauty of the plurality of eldership here. There's checks and balances. We said some of these things before. When you're gifted in a certain area, you tend to lean towards your gift. Okay, so if I had the gift of pastoring, I tend to lean towards the people. Say, ah, just forgive that person. 
The person with the gift of teaching goes, it's not personal at all. It's God's word. The person with the gift of evangelism going, well, what are you guys even talking about? There's people out lost out here that we need to go witness to. Okay? And the gift of administration is sitting there going, guys, we're, we're not even on schedule right here. What are we talking about? Next topic. Okay? And so you need that kind of plurality in the body. You need checks and balances, guys. If not, you do get lopsided churches sometimes that focus on one area of health. And it's hard to say they're wrong because all of God's work is awesome. So to those churches who are evangelizing like crazy, it looks awesome. But are they, don't neglect the other things. To so those who are only teaching and not evangelizing, it might be like, oh, cool, man, we're getting taught so well. But if you're not, like, there's just so many pieces to the local church that we need plurality of leaders. Okay, we need it. All right, let's talk about the qualifications. This is what I passed out to you, just to give you a, a quick little thing there. I'm not going to go over it too much. I'm just going to kind of generalize, okay? There's a few things here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let's, let's read the qualifications. We'll start in verse 1 of 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. You can translate that also as overseer. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Okay. Again, First of all, when I uh, just one more quick thing I forgot here in my notes where it says here a bishop, I said it can be an overseer. There is language, right? We use the word pastor all the time. You're not going to see the word pastor in the New Testament except for in Ephesians where it says as part of the gifts. He has given some for um, teaching, some for pastoring, some for... And so it really is a gift, not an office. And where I say that, is it semantics? If you want to say, okay, Brantford has... Um, four pastors instead of four elders. I think it's confusing, but I don't know if you'd quote be wrong. Does that make sense? This is where we talk about, we said we're going to say some of the things traditionally. Okay, but we don't really like to use that word because it has a connotation of a one-man ministry sometimes. So you will not find that in New Testament. You will find bishop, overseers, and like I said with those three verses, you will always find it in a plural sense. You will not find and you will read how Paul must have been a pastor. And they'll use these verses. Like, well, you know, the, and, and they'll say, well, Timothy must have been a pastor. He had to have been. If you look at their missionary journeys, they didn't stay in one church very long. 
And so you just got to look at those kinds of things of, of that plurality. All right. So these qualifications are interesting because this is it, guys, by the way. This is what one has to be in order to be an elder or a deacon. Okay? They have to rule their own house well. Okay? Both deacons and elders. It talks about them ruling their own house well. And it actually gives you the reason behind it, unlike some of the other qualifications. If you can't manage your house, how can you manage the house of God? It is very simple. That is the premises. And so remember how God works, too. God typically gives us a little bit, and if we're faithful with that, he expands it. And so the number one thing he's given um, to a family is your family. Hey, this is why God hates divorce. Remember he said, and he said in um, Malachi, the, the reason we're going to have kids is to raise godly offspring. The family unit is the hope for the next generation. If the parents do this correctly, they can raise the next generation who don't know anything in the fear and admonition of the Lord and basically change the world. Now, we know humanity comes into play with that, but this is some of that. And so God is saying, listen, you got to prove yourself in this first family structure. If you run your house well and things are in order, not perfect, my goodness. No one has a perfect family. Okay? They don't sit there and be like, oh my goodness, that kid did this. And, but we're talking about overall lifestyle. Overall lifestyle, the house is one that you can look up to and is in order. Then, let's, let's give you a bigger responsibility talking about the house of God. Okay? Because it worked on a personal level. Okay? So you guys know how this works. I, I learned as a parent how to talk to my kids, right? You learn how to talk to them. You don't just be like, I can't believe you did that! Ah! And then you see your kid go, oh my gosh! And then, you know, you're screaming at them. I mean, none of you do it. This is just me. You're screaming at your kids, and then you go, this is not how this works. <laughs> like, I can still discipline them, and I don't have to be out of my mind. Okay? And so some of those lessons you learn at home, because if you were in leadership here, I want to go scream at you and go, ah! That won't work either. <laughs> So you learn kind of those um, things in the home, okay? And so this is big to God. This is big to God. Two, they have a good testimony, okay? Which, again, I would, I would love to speak a whole other message. It seems like we don't care about our testimonies anymore, okay? But we should care about our testimonies. So that, it says blameless. Now, again, what does that mean? It means overall it's hard to stick something to the person, okay? They have a good reputation with someone on the outside, they're work people, okay? It's not just, ooh, they look good here on Sundays. They have a good rep. They are not controlled by the world's desires. They're not given too much wine. They're not greedy. They're not, is there a battle? Absolutely. Does all leadership struggle with the flesh? Absolutely. But in the same token, they're not mastered by it. You cannot be in leadership and be mastered by a certain um, indulgence of your flesh that you just can't control. You can't. Okay? So, finally, the third there is uh, they're proven. In other words, typically, um, and some of these qualifications would say so too, they have been doing a work that the flock has seen done. So that when they get the office of elder or deacon, it's not a shock. Okay? It's not like, oh, sweet. Okay, this would be some of the practical things, too. Like 
if an elder here went to another church, okay, they should not necessarily be an elder just because they were an elder here. They would in some ways have to have the assembly check them out, get to know them as a lifestyle, and then meet these qualifications. It's not like, well, as an elder over at Brantford's, when I come in here, I'm just going to slip right in. That's not the way leadership works. Okay? And so this is a whole piece of testimony and not being mastered by the world, having your house in order, and you are already doing certain ministries. Now again, with these qualifications, does this mean everyone else is off the hook? No. <laughs> these are qualifications that every believer in the church should be going for. Okay? We all have our struggles. But this is the goal. As I said before, we are all to be those that say Christ must be in you. When I look at you and your lifestyle, I see Christ. That's the hope and calling of every single believer. But in order to have an office, and now you have different responsibilities, you have got to have, you've got to have these qualifications met. You have to. All right, some of the differences with uh, these qualifications with the elders and deacons. Elders have to be able to teach. Deacons don't. Okay? That's nice, right? So if you came and said, hey, you know, I want to know biblically uh, why we break bread every Sunday. The elders could sit down and tell you that. A deacon doesn't have to be able to do that. I think they can. But they don't have to be able to teach. Okay? They don't have to be able to teach. An elder has to. The interesting thing about the deacon, and this is going to show about the office of the deacon, because again, some people in churches just think deacons are janitors that get to clean the toilets and, 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 and collect money in a basket. It is a high office. It is a, there's only two in the local church, elders and deacons. Okay, And so deacons here, the difference with them is their wives are included in this. Isn't that interesting? Their wives also must be reverent. Not slanderous, temperate, faithful in all things. Why? Why? What's the difference there? Well, I've got to tell you that deacons are in homes a lot. Deacons are going to sit down with you and go, okay, let's go over a budget. Okay? Sometimes, I don't know how this probably works, but, you know, the, the wives are essential in those meetings sometimes. Right? They're essential. Or, some of that is this is that there's deacon business that goes on, and a lot of times, listen, we don't tell our wives everything, elders and deacons, but the wives cannot be the gossiper either. <laughs> then I go, oh, my husband just came home. I heard him on the phone. Guess who's out of money? It's a big, listen, I mean, I'm kind of making light, but it's a big deal. The wives have to be those who are hearing all that stuff coming into their house now sometimes, and they can't show face. They can't sit there on a Sunday and go, mm-hmm, my husband was at your house for a long time because you couldn't get together. Okay, There's part of that there. It's interesting that the wives or elders are not like that. It just shows again that the deacons are involved in a very practical ministry and a lot of people's skills. Not that the elders aren't, because they're doing the whole password thing as well. But there's some interesting things there. All right. How does one become an elder or deacon? How does it happen biblically? How does it happen here at Branford Bible Chapel? Hopefully the two are the exact same thing. Okay, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 8, it would say this. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. 
The Holy Spirit is the one that makes you an elder or deacon. It's the assembly's job to recognize it. Okay? And, I, and by the way, I, we do like recognition. In other words, um, it, it's, just, it's just what we need sometimes practically to recognize a deacon or recognize an elder because then there's real responsibilities that come with it. Okay? But the Holy Spirit makes you one. Okay? So, this is something that we'd always need the assembly to actually be a part of together. Okay? Meaning, we've had this happen in the past here, or there should always kind of be in the background. We kind of get busy with church life, but someone is, is doing ministry. Someone is doing a work, and you're going, hey, and, and maybe you're going, this person is, is really growing spiritually, too. And, and, and they got, they're, they're doing so many ministries, and I'm talking to them, and their house is great and in order, and I think this person should be an elder or deacon. And so you say to the elders, I've been looking at this person, and I think they should be a deacon or an elder. Okay, We have publicly put out there sometimes saying, hey, we need more deacons. We need more elders. Is there anyone that you see doing the work as an assembly? And then we've talked to those individuals, say, hey, your name came up. Would you desire the office of a deacon or an elder? If you have a burden that you yourself want to be an elder or a deacon, you can come to the elders, and there's a discussion there. Okay, there's a discussion. And typically, like I said, we put it before everyone. We are not, quote, voting. Okay, we're not like, oh, 33 people said you should be a deacon, 23 said no, you're in. Okay, the reason we put it before the assembly is, one, we recognize our own failures as elders, meaning, uh, and we're not, we're not trying to tattle, but there are some of you that are closer with others um, then we might be closer uh, to you. So in other words, there's a name put before the assembly, this person should be a deacon. Well, you might know something about that person. That is not like sinful, just like, listen, I know this person. If they get into this office, it's not going to be good for them or their family. And we're going to hear that. And that's why we put it before the assembly. We want to know, is there anything that you have noticed where they don't meet the qualifications? By the time we put someone's name before the assembly, we are saying as leaders... It would appear to us that they have met all the biblical qualifications. Is there a qualification that you see they're not meeting? And that's okay to say that to us. There has been times where people have had concerns about certain qualifications, and we actually, it's a good discussion. You talk to the person who is maybe becoming a deacon or an elder, and it could just be like, you know what? And they say, okay, I can see that in my life, and they make a change. Um, I will tell you right now, one of the things that I was told before I was an elder was when I stood up on a Sunday morning, they didn't like the way I made announcements. I was uh, joking around too much, um, and that wasn't good as an elder. So that, that's an easy one. I was like, forget you. No, I'm just kidding. See, I just did it again. So, um, no, but I'm just kidding. So the reason I say that is, again, that's body life. That's, I, I really actually did appreciate someone saying that to me. I was not just sitting there going, oh, I can't believe you said that. I went, you know what? That's a good way, again, to look sometimes at leadership, that there are those looking saying, I don't know if you, can have, if you can talk lightly like that as a leader. And so that's why we involve the assembly, to just have those normal discussions. And it's not like, ooh, someone brought up something against them, so they're definitely not going to be a deacon or an elder. It's just good discussions for those things. Finally, in closing, do we submit to elders and deacons? Yes. Okay. So, 
The interesting thing that I saw uh, when looking at this again was in 1 Peter chapter 5. It's talking about shepherding in the first four verses, and it says, Likewise, you young people, younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed in humility. Here's my little practical thing I, I, I thought was interesting. It's interesting that they say, Hey, we want to address the younger people. Make sure you submit to your elders. And I got thinking, Well, we're living in times where young people aren't submitting to a whole lot, but. Typically, you hear things like, hey, when you're going to school, you better obey the teacher because they're in charge. Okay, when you see a policeman on the road, you respect them and you do what the cop says because they're in charge. Okay, um, all those kinds of things. I just think it's interesting. Maybe I can encourage it. Do we ever tell our kids, hey, you're going to church. And remember, we all submit to the elders. I, I don't think I've told my kids that. I probably had because I was their parent. That's a little, you know, catch-22. But <laughs> so you better submit to daddy. But, you know, I'm just kidding. Um, but that's just interesting language. It's interesting language to me. Is that we would be a body that, that from, from these kids are little, go, hey, guys, there's, there's leadership here. And they're going to make mistakes. But we support them. We support them. And we submit because we're supporting them. Again, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's no means that we're higher or lower. There's none of that. But there's the idea of thinking, because you're responsible before God, I'm going to line myself up with you. Okay? And sometimes we are really just getting bad at this. It's really like we don't think it's biblical. And I listen, well, some of you heard my announcement today, so maybe I have more freedom to say these things. Um, but it, th- there is a piece that we're missing biblically that we don't submit to authority. The elders are going to make mistakes, but they're in a lot of prayer. And uh, there, there's some of you that, again, have had elders or deacons in your house, and they have given advice. And you, better, you really better uh, pray about that. And you better really consider that God-ordained people in your life, in your church, are giving you advice. And you better take that with a lot of weight. You better take it with a lot of weight when these guys give you advice or tell you, I don't think that's good for your life right now. It is so simple to just be a normal human being sinner saying, who are you to tell me what to do in my life? And I'm going to tell you, they're God-ordained. They're God-ordained in this place. And so we have to be a people that are submissive to one another and just recognize that God has put them there. Recognize that God has put them there. So how do we practically submit? We've said some of these things from the pulpit before. You know, it's nice just to check in sometimes. Just check in. Just check. If you want to do something here at the church, check in with the leaders. Okay. If you want to suddenly hang up a big picture on the wall, That'd be weird to do without checking in with the deacons. That's weird. Check in. (laughs) Check in with leadership. The second thing I want to challenge you to do is get to know them. It'll be easier to submit. It's hard to submit to someone you don't know. 
Get to know them. Have them over your house for dinner. Spoil them a little bit with steak and lobster. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right? But get to know leadership because they're, they're in the trenches for you. They're in the trenches for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much uh, that you are the chief shepherd. Thank you so much the way you have set things up. Lord, you have um, given us all great responsibilities, and so sometimes it can be overwhelming. And yet, we have God indwelling in us. How can we uh, fail? We have access to the Almighty One. And so, thank you so much that you're willing to help. Again, Lord, we pray that you would uh, just do a work, that we would be convinced of your scriptures even this morning. In your name, amen.